Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Today we're going to be talking about walking in the Spirit. Um, it's something that we've began talking about through the book of Joshua this past couple of weeks and um, seeing some stuff in the Old Testament that, that speaks of our life as New Testament, New Covenant Christians. And um, it's really, this, this message I will say, it's kind of about the strategy of heaven. The strategy of heaven, which is, it seems so um, strange, unorthodox, um, but at the same time, for the implementation and the release of heaven on the earth. And so, especially, I, I like this one verse for the kids, because it has kids in it, that talks about this new covenant, what the reality of Christianity was going to be was actually prophesied in the Old Testament through these prophets. And they didn't even know what they were talking about a lot of times and what they were writing. They were just praying and connecting to God and writing whatever He said. And sometimes it came out as poems, sometimes it came out as riddles, sometimes it came out in, in strange ways that they had no clue what they were talking about, but they knew it was from Him, so they were writing it down on these ancient scrolls. And um, one of them is found in Isaiah 11 about this almost like a superhero that was going to be the king of Israel. That was going to be this, the most special person, but he was going to inaugurate or initiate something, which we now know as being Christians. He was going to inaugurate this thing called Christianity. He was going to set it in motion. And it's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 11 about this one who is going to be the shoot or the branch of Jesse, this, uh, of this rod that would come from Jesse, meaning like in the lineage of a man named Jesse. And, um, but that the Spirit of God would be upon him, the very Spirit of the Lord. And that's number one, the Spirit of the Lord, which is the nature and the personality and the person of who God is, was going to be upon this human being. You know? All these things which we understand are like the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. All these things, his fruit would be the Spirit of the Lord. But it also said he would have the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of might the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and so you have these seven attributes of the Spirit of God that we're going to be fully and completely on this one person and now we know that that was prophesying about Jesus who was God himself but was gonna have the fullness of the Spirit of God it says with righteousness he would judge the poor and decide with equity fairness for the meek of the earth it said that he would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. In other words, like his words were going to come out so profoundly that it was going to change the entire world. Now, of course, when they're writing this, they think like, man, maybe he'll have a dragon mouth or he'll, he'll be able to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, roar out earthquakes or something. But the reality of what it was talking about is that out of the breath of his mouth, he would slay the wicked. It was wickedness. It was the darkness that came in from the fall. All the demonic, all the darkness that came in since Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden poisonous fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and, novel, uh, of good and evil. He was going to destroy all of its effects. Righteousness would be the belt of his loins and faithfulness would be the belt of his waists. But then it goes and describes what earth will be like because of this one person, what he sets in motion. And this is what's cool, especially for our young people. I mean, for me as well, for everybody. It says some things here of what, what it will look like when heaven invades earth, which we're all supposed to be a part of in Isaiah eleven six, It says, 
the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And I think all you guys know, you're not going to usually see a wolf and a lamb hanging out together. Because the wolf's going to bite the lamb, right? Wolves eat lamb. Sheep, you know? It says the leopard is going to lie down with the young goat. It's like, dude, leopards eat goats. You ever been to the zoo here in town, the Caldwell? That's a really nice zoo. Yeah, but you can't put the, the goats and the, and the leopards in the same pen. Because you'll have a little bloody mess going on your hands, you know? The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The very things that lions eat, like they'll actually be able to hang out together. And then it says, and a little child shall lead them around. You know, I watched my girls lead my dog around yesterday for a little while on a leash. But this is saying that kids will be able to lead around lions and leopards and wolves because they won't want to hurt each other. That's what heaven on earth, they're giving this prophetic picture of what heaven on earth would look like or will look like. The cow will graze with the bear. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Their young ones will lie down together. Imagine like a baby calf and a baby bear cuddled up at your, at your, in your backyard. You know, How about this? The nursing child, that's a little baby. We got a few of those sitting around here. We'll be able to play by the cobra's hole. That's scary right there. Ooh, snakies. Especially cobras, dude. Man. And the wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Another, like a little toddler. Somebody, he, can, he can put his hand in the snake's den and it won't hurt him. It says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? When the earth is full with the knowledge of God, who He truly is, the, that God is love, that mankind's been created in His image, all this stuff, is that a water bottle? It's wearing me out. But you know what I mean? It's like, because that's an adult move right there. Take it away if, if it's not. It, it's just like, that's where I draw the line. I'm sorry. It's like, but this, this reality of like, all of the earth will know God. That's what this prophecy of New Covenant Christianity is. Somebody's going to come and he's going to have the fullness of everything that God's spirit is in is going to be on this one person. And because of him, he's going to set forth something in his with his voice, with his words over all the earth. Right. And it's going to cause all the people and all the animals to get along together again and there to be peace that no one will hurt or destroy. And the reason of it is because everyone will know God. People will recognize the Creator, even the animals. You know? And see, now we know this, y'all. It's like, as Christians, this is our inheritance. I'm not saying go to Caldwell Zoo and try to get in there with them tigers today. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying, there is a place of walking with God that we can reflect Him so much that even the creation recognizes it. Yeah, it's in Romans chapter 8. It literally says all of creation is groaning with longing and expectation for the sons of God, the children of God right? To be revealed. For us to step into real maturity spiritually to where it unlocks all of creation. But the reality of this root, this shoot of Jesse, this lineage, this person named Jesus, this happened 2,000 years ago nearly. And he set in motion the plan for us to walk with him just as he walked in his spirit. That's what Christianity is, having the spirit of God within us now and learning and learning to let him lead our life in everything that we do in such a profound way that we are continually knowing Him. 
that knowledge of, of God that transforms the earth. It transforms us as well. The more we know God, the more we relate to Him, the more we are transformed. The more we are transformed in our nature and our person, the more it unlocks everything that is around us. Yeah, man. That's really good. So for the adults, that's, that's what heaven on earth is like, but that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, is to walk in the direction of this maturity that I'm talking about today. And I think this hits for adults too, to be honest, because it hits me. And there's things in the Old Testament. Last week we did the book of Joshua, or we started in the book of Joshua. And we talked about even how 1 Corinthians 10:11 says that these things were prophesied and written, these stories were literally about us. That they were real and they're literal and they really did happen, but also that we can see from these stories what our lives are supposed to look like here and now. And we talked about Joshua and we talked about all of Israel crossing over the Jordan River, the second river that they crossed, and how that was a prophetic picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of true Christianity and what that actually looks like for us, right? And so we left off with them literally crossing over into the air quotes promised land, which is a symbol of heaven being on the earth again. Now it's not the it's not the fullness of the 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 bear and the cow <laughs> eating grass together and their and their cubs hanging out, but it's in the step of that direction. Because in the Old Testament, just as there is in the earth today, there was still darkness and light. And and darkness had to be disposed in the promised land so that the, the light could inherit the sons and daughters of God could inherit their inheritance, their land that they're called to be in. And so, as we look in Joshua, I'm going to start speaking of walking in the Spirit. And I think it goes really well with this Holy Spirit walk that we just talked about in Isaiah 11 that was prophesied of the sevenfold or the seven spirits, depending on how you look at it, of God actually being on a person and what it looks like for us to walk in this way. And this is the story of, of, for the adults that were here and listen to the podcast, of the very first battle of the promised land. God's given it to them. They've walked across. They've had the circumcision. They've had, you know, Joshua meets Jesus. He meets the, the commander of the angel of the Lord. Take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy. You know, all of the fearful had died off that were afraid to go into the promised land because of the Nephilim, the giants, the, the hybrids and all this. And so now you have a... a, a, a an army of warriors and a nation of faithful followers of God stepping into the promised land. And the first stop in the promised land was a city called Jericho. And it had these massive stone walls that wrapped around the entire city. And the city, just if you, to kind of give it a comparison, was similar to the size of about six football fields. If you've ever been to a football game, there's usually a track around it, you know what I mean? Uh, around a football field. But if you put six of them together, maybe seven, that's how big this, this city was to walk around. So it wasn't as big as like maybe our city, you know, to walk around the entire city, but it was a large stone wall to walk around. Take you at least an hour probably to walk around it, you know. So anyways, this big city that was shut up and um, was actually in the way. It was illegally erected and people were squatting in the promised land for the sake of and by the design of the demonic realm to keep God's people from coming into it. It was a very strategic place. And so we have this story in Joshua chapter 6 where they're learning to walk in the Spirit. They're learning to walk in this way that's um, maybe unusual and different. And 
and how this is supposed to happen for them. And they literally come upon this city and the Lord actually speaks to Joshua, the captain of the whole um, of the nation. And he tells them the strategy. Here's how we're going to take how, how you're going to take this city. You know, and we think, is there going to be some bombs or some catapults or how are we going to get over these walls? You know. But he says, no, you're actually going to march around the city for six days. That, to me, sounds like bad idea number one. You're going to literally walk a lap around this city one time every day for six days. <laughs> I was like, what good does that do? And the priests are going to bear their trumpets and their ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. But on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. It's like, man, that's going to take us seven, eight hours. You have to wake up early and do that all day. It's like running a dang a race or something. You know, it's like, wow. So seven days in a row, you're going to walk around this city. One time every day, except for on the seventh, you're going to do seven laps. And it's like, shoo, wow. And it shall come to pass on the seventh day, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, when you hit that seventh lap, you're going to release a great shout. And the wall of that city, these massive stone walls, are going to completely fall down. Wow. And all the people were going to go up, every man straight before him. So Joshua calls the priests and he gives them the, he gives everybody, all right, so I can imagine this like the game plan before the game. Joshua's like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to fight these guys? We're going to walk around their city once every day for six days. And it's just like, no, that ain't a good idea. Well, this is what God has said. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and, and not only that, they're going to be playing them ram horn, you know, them, them shofars in front of the ark of the Lord. But you guys aren't going to talk the whole way on the lap. So we've got to be quiet. Yeah, you're just going to walk around quiet. Okay. On the seventh day, he tells them, you know, you're going to shout. The walls are going to fall down. And, and when, it, when it happens, we're going into fight. Okay, so that's how we're taking the walls down. It ain't no battering ram. Ain't no catapults. No TNT. So they did it. So they started marching around the city. It says it came to pass on the seventh day that about the dawning of the day, they had to get up early because they had to do seven laps. They did the exact same thing they had been doing, but they did seven times around. Right? Then on the seventh time around, can you just imagine this walking around this city all day seven times like... They don't, they're like, I hope this is going to work. I hope these walls are going to explode or fall down. Or um, Archaeologists to this day, because this is a real site, they, they feel like it's like, well, that was an earthquake that happened. Or, you know, some, sometimes the way the Hebrew it's written, it's like, it makes it seem like the walls fell into the ground, uh, parts, parts of them, kind of like the Korah's Rebellion thing in Numbers. Uh, you know, it, it's hard. It's, regardless, it's pretty wild. But they were literally walking around all week. And I thought this was so interesting because even as we're talking about the walk of the Spirit, like it says in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit and you won't feel the lust of the flesh. It's like this Christianity is about walking by the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, walking in relationship to Jesus, um, letting that which is of the eyes of your heart become more real to you than what you see with your natural eyes, right? Romans 8 says, those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons or the mature ones of God, and of the weos, the ones that are actually all the earth is groaning for, the ones that are walking in power. 
And so a lot of times it's like the training that God is putting his people through in life is not, has nothing to do with our circumstances or what's going on in the world. Has absolutely nothing to do. What we see with the eyes of our heart and in relationship to him is, is, is called to be more real to us than what we see with our natural eyes and what we hear with our natural ears. Because yeah. that's what it says in Isaiah 11 about the root, about this Messiah, about this sevenfold spirit on this person is that he will not judge by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. It's like, well, what will he judge by? By what's real in the Spirit. Amen. There's something to seeing in the Spirit that's very real. There's a gift called discerning of spirits. Did you know that in 1 Corinthians 12? Which you can actually see and discern different things. Dark, light, angels, demons, uh, giftings, callings, all kinds of different things. And, and literally with your spiritual eyes and senses. But there's also something that every Christian is called to walk in, seeing by the Spirit. And it's actually walking in such a relationship to God that what we see in Him becomes more real to us than what we see in the earth. And we live by His strategy instead of the strategy of the world. And when we do that, heaven comes in through our life. And that's what this story is about. It's also something we talked a, bit, a little bit about last week. It's like, you know, the, the Israelites didn't go into the promised land until a lot of people passed away. Because 40 years earlier, when they had the opportunity to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, so many of them were afraid because they saw the giants, which are really the Nephilim. They weren't all like super long giants. There was, and some of you kids will know this, but there was what the Bible in Genesis 6 calls the heroes of old, the Nephilim, these people that were superhuman and powerful. They weren't monsters, they were like people, but they were supernaturally powerful, like X-Men or something like that. They were just these, these part um, angel, for lack of a better word, Elohim, God. They were part that and part human beings, so they weren't really true humans. And the Israelites were so afraid of them that they did not want to go into the land that God promised them, even though God said, I'm going to be with you. Right? And so now... For 40 years, all the people that were afraid to go in had passed away, died off. And so in a sense, all the fear had been stripped from the body. And now the courageous were left. But even in this situation, I would imagine if, you're, if you are walking around a massive fortified city, there might be a good amount of fear that's in your heart the longer you observe those big old walls. And them boys with the bows and arrows and catapults and whatever else is going on in there. You know what I mean? And not only that, the Israelites knew that not all of the people in the promised land were these Nephilim and these giants, these superhuman people. But they knew that there was clans of them throughout the whole place. And that those people or those things, those beings had actually set up all the structures of the cities in order to squat. They were squatters and set up their gates in the promised land for the very sole purpose of knowing since Deuteronomy 32, since the Tower of Babel that happened in Genesis 11 and 10, they, they knew they, they were to keep God's people out of that land. And so it was all strategic. And so they're walking around this massive 20, 30 foot wall or how big it was uh, for you know, six football fields around and, and literally thinking like, we don't even know what's in there. Not who's in there, what's in there. And the supernatural power that these people have locked into, which they did. And I can prove that, but probably not this week. Um, but they had some supernatural power that they had camped up in that mug. You know what I mean? 
and um, of, called it them, them dark arts, you know what I mean? And so they had that stuff going on, and, and they were literally walking around this city, and you can imagine all the fear that's pushing them to go up in their heart. I think a lot of times when we move ahead of the Lord in our life, you know, when we just try to force things, it's out of fear. Also, when we, when we bail out, that's definitely out of fear. But when we just get tired, like, I can't do this. I just got to see if it'll work. You know what I'm saying? It's just a fearful thing. But those who are led of the Spirit of God, these are the mature children of God. And that was what the Lord was leading. Seven days, seven times on the last day. Seven and seven, just like the sevenfold spirit. It was a very prophetic picture of us, what it looks like to walk according to the voice of the Lord and the leading of His Spirit in our life. And to walk this supernatural walk. Because if you will, they were observing this place that was impregnable, like impossible to, to destroy. But seven times they went around it. And on that seventh day, when that ram horn blew, and, and, and then Joshua was like, it says, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. In verse 18, and you, will, you must by all means abstain from all the accursed things of this city. And those two verses are so incredibly important for us, verse 17 and 18 for the adults, because we're going to keep going on that. Um, not today, probably, but um, it's just like there's something of that, that term, the, this is doomed by the Lord to destruction. That word is harem, right? Or kerem or harem. You've got you to do all that, you know, in Hebrew. So I'm just going to kind of white boy it a little bit, but kerem, you know. Um, but that was this term that literally talked about utter destruction, devoting something completely to God. In other words, removing it fully from the earth and giving it unto the Lord. Right? <clears throat> it's a complete removal, an utter destruction. And we know a lot of people think, well, God's genocidal in the, in the Old Testament and all these things. And it's not that way at all. This had its roots directly in the source of that demonic and the bad guys that were actually usurping and blocking the people from the promised land. Um, and it's really important to understand that the history of the Bible, and even the world for that matter, like I was saying earlier with Genesis 6, tells us the story of these sons of God who left their heavenly abode and they took human wives and they created an entirely different race of beings that the Bible calls Nephilim. And, you know, it's translated giants in our Bible, but that's Nephilim, is, it's a little bit different than that. And um, they were the original reason that the, the Israelites didn't go into their promised land. And in Numbers 13, like we were saying, it's like when they were like too afraid, it was because of those people. And they were squatting in the land of inheritance and setting their own gates and walls up in order to keep God's people out. Sounds a lot like the New Covenant in the New Testament, that the gates of hell won't prevail. Yeah. It is. We get it straight from this. Um, the book of Enoch describes the place of the original rebellion of Genesis 6. It like goes in, in, and describes that place as this place called Mount Hermon. And it's not Hermon, like, you know, Professor Hermon, which I did have one. Um, but it's Hermon. Oh, it's, it's almost, it's not, but it's very close to being identical to the, to the name of that holy war to devote something to destruction, Harem. It's the same consonants of the word. And, um, but this place, this Mount Hermon, Hermon, if you want me to really kind of try to sauce it up a little bit for you, um, was known in the biblical times 
And I mean, and not only just in the Bible, but also in the like Sumerian text, the Babylonian text, the Ugaritic, all these other things, all these other writings as the place of the gates of hell or the gates of the dead. And so when Jesus is talking about these things, the gates of hell won't prevail. And where he was saying that facing Mount Hermon in, in his life, he's literally drawing a, an, an exact distinction to this, what we call holy war, this harem. It's, it's, it's all together. And it has, it, it has the Nephilim, the bloodlines of the fallen. It has all that stuff packed into this one little bit right here that everybody reading this thousands of years ago completely and totally understood. And... Um, so anyways, the place was known, in, known as the gates of hell, but God's people were called to remove these enemies that were squatting in the promised land. And that's why when Joshua was like, hey, it's, this is devoted to destruction, because it sounds like, oh, it's devoted to the Lord. Yeah, no, for destruction. It sounds like, what are you talking about? We're, we're going to take up an offering today, folks, and it's going to be an offering of destruction. And it's just like, wow, what, is that, what does that mean? It means cutting that stuff out that ain't supposed to be there ruthlessly dealing with it and giving it to God who paid for it on his cross and, and actually takes it into darkness and obliterates it from our life. You know, so we have these things, but Joshua's like, everything gets destroyed. Just like later on when, you know, Samuel had told that to Saul, but he didn't do it, right? And so, but there was reason for that. There was reason for this harem because that word, even the root word that that talks about that mountain and the destruction is like it was it was identified exactly with everything that came in through the fall has to be removed and it's not just about war it's about those things are squatting on the inheritance of the people of god and so they're walking around this place and it's like oh maybe we can make a treaty with them and have a pass like there's no treaty with them there's no bargaining with them there can be no strings attached and not only that when you wreck and destroy every single thing and living man, woman, and you know what in this place and wipe it all the way out and all the animals. Make sure that by all means you don't, you don't preserve anything that's accursed, which is really going to come into play this next week. There's, there's demonically empowered items and things left from the Nephilim, the, the Elohim, the gods of the world who are setting up their boundaries illegally. They're supernaturally charged. They're enticing like Frodo's ring. And no matter what, do not. Don't fall for it. So anyhow, so that's, that's that. So, but, you know, except for the gold and the vessels of bronze, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So that's good. So it says in verse 21 that they utterly destroyed everything. They, they that, that's that word again. I'm, I'm going to stop doing it. But... They marched around seven times. On the seventh day, they blow those trumpets. Then everyone, all right, it's time for us to shout. Like, what does shouting do to a wall? Annoy it? You know? The whole thing collapsed. And they ran and, destro and destroyed the whole place. And it was the first victory of the promised land. But I want to stop right there for today um, just because all of that's really important. But there's something to walking by the Spirit of God that seems so abstract or so strange as far as strategy. Like, that's a poor strategy, but it's not. It's only a poor strategy when it doesn't work. You know what I mean? But the br most brilliant things often looked crazy when they were an idea. And we're called to live in such a way that we're not trying to kick walls down. You know what I'm saying? I love the thought of the 
the seven day week. That's Monday through Sunday, or however you Sunday through Monday. What you know, that's that's a full time walk. I think it's prophetic even for a full time walk of the Spirit. It's all day, every day. It never stops. And in doing that, the obstacles that we find ourselves coming up to and coming around, the Lord is actually, it's by His Spirit, not by might nor by power. It's by His actual Spirit that those things are released to us and that they are removed from us. And often I think when we come up against things that maybe even they are, um, they feel intimidating and afraid, uh, scary to us, it's more important that the issues of our heart in walking with the Lord are dealt with than it is anything else. And it's like, as we're faithful to walking with Him practically and knowing Him, the obstacles that are in the way, they become smaller and smaller. Things that used to look big and scary and frightening, they become smaller and smaller because our mentality and, our, and the way our viewing of things changes. And I love this. I love some of the, the scriptures like in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4 um, about what it means, you know, walking in the Spirit. It says, Ephesians 5.15 is, Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And I've always thought that was really a really cool verse, but it's like, walk circumspectly. In other words, walk with your head lifted in the right place your mind on things above and not on below. In other words, the strategy of heaven, not the strategies of the earth, because in knowing Him and having your head lifted up into that realm, you'll actually redeem the time that you're in. And I think also, we could be so focused on, day se on the day seven fight that we're not faithfully walking on like the Tuesday with the Lord in the practicality. And what that is, is like the worry and the anxiety and the fear of, is it really gonna work? can keep us from being present and walking our circles and living our life in the here and now. Because there's so many things that are happening all around us constantly, right? And the reality is, the keys to the doors of our life opening and purpose and everything like that, one, it's being in the right place at the right time, which is found in following Him. You know what I mean? But two, it's so often it is internal more than it is external. When Jesus walked on the water and the disciples got scared and said, it's a ghost in there. There's, there's a ghost walking, you know what I mean? Once they recognized him, it says, and they willingly received him into their boat, the boat was at the other side. And that's weird because the boat had a long way to get to the other side. But, as, but the trick of that trip, the lesson was, as soon as they said, it says, willingly received them, received him, into their vessel, the destination wasn't an issue. Oh no, we're in, the waves, it's kind of, I don't know if we're going to get there. It, it was more about them recognizing him above their fear and letting him come in. And they were there. And it's so much easier for the Lord to accomplish his plans and purposes in our life. We'll never do it by our own strength. It'll never happen. It's never meant to happen that way, <laughs> you know? But actually seeing the things even that we're intimidated by in our life and dealing with him in those things that is the key to the victory over the things that we look at as opposition god wasn't afraid of any nephilim any giant any wall nothing that was in that place that other gods were floating over that region we're empowering those people they do magic man you know it's like hey so do we 
Not in, not in the works of the flesh of sorcery, but it's like we got a cloud hovering us over us all day, fire by night. You know, as Christians, it's like we have a we communicate with an unseen God. We hear His voice. You know what I mean? It's like it's like our lives are just as mystical as any. You know, and here they are with bread coming out of heaven, rivers backing up for them, and stuff like that. It's just like, hey, kind of wake up out of it. Like there's no power in the earth that is not a counterfeit of the power that you are called to walk in. Not a lesser version. And it's like, oh yeah, you know. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. This is another thing. I think being an effective, every Christian is called to make disciples. That's what Jesus said. And we, we can be the types that try to force that by kicking every door open that we see in our relational connections. And there is a place for kicking some doors open. Sometimes you've got to be aggressive and just go after some stuff. But many times we're called to be in the world but not of the world. We're called to live this life of walking around this city. Like a fisherman who go, doesn't do a cannonball into the water you know what I mean? And, and sing at the top of his lungs while he's fishing, you know what I mean? He, like, he walks in there gently and he stands there and he lets his scent, like, let the water become his scent. And he's peaceful there and, he, and he, he's in that water and he's, you know what I mean? He's, he's one with his environment. He's not just like, hey man, brother fish, you know what I mean? Like, you know how we can be? It's like walking wisdom towards those who are outside. In other words, don't, don't just go kicking the door down. Sometimes you got to live with people and they got to know your fruit. Not your Christian religious fruit. I mean your fruit like the love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. That's a language everybody gets. They feel safe. And we don't have a net to try to trap them. You know, like a, fish, like a real fisherman. We're actually trying to feed them. And connect them to one we're connected with. And I, I see that same in that seven round walk. It's like it's not an abrasive thing. They were there full time just walking around. They weren't even focused on it. They weren't they were called to be present in it. Being present is a lost art, man. Anytime we have a spare bit of time, it's like, let me just lock into my phone real quick and escape this spare moment. Let me plug my brain into the matrix real quick and just exp- exp- you know what I mean, instead of just being present in our world and in our life. Now we still want people to do the social media team, by the way. Uh, no. But you know what I'm saying? This is a demonstration for us of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. It's also a kingdom that, you know, was the first major victory, the first victory of the promised land, and it's this beautiful thing. But it truly is something for us. I think that's my, my point. Another, another thing, this is true too, and I've had this in my life where the Lord's had to be like, hey buddy, you're manifesting a lot of fear. The place of feeling surrounded sometimes that overwhelmed feeling that people can get, that any of us can come under, um, of feeling surrounded. It's just like, who was surrounded in that seven-day walk? The bad guys were surrounded. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. We think, oh, the gates of hell, or hell's beating on our gates. It's like, we don't got gates, man. If you look in Revelation about the New Jerusalem, about the city of God coming to the earth, these gates are open all the time. Which that's a strange thing if you think about eternity. And that, you know, won't, won't gonna do that, you know what I mean? But if you think about it like that, those gates are always open. Like, you mean always, forever? You know, wow. 
but I don't know, man. Anyhow, so sorry, but there ain't no, there's not security guard there. The flaming sword's not there of Eden. That was the cross, right? But it's their gates that won't prevail. And sometimes we get into a place in life and we forget that we're actually on offense and we play defense. You know what I mean? And it's like, wait a second. Their gates don't prevail. I'm feeling anxieties and fears. Maybe it's in my life. Maybe it's something going on. Maybe I've made a, a wrong switch and, and, I, and I've neglected to follow the Lord and I'm going to get back on track with that. But we, that's still a victory. But so many times it's just inward. It's just a mentality. And He hasn't given us a spirit, the sevenfold spirit, of that fear. The one He's given us is power and love and a sound mind. A sound mind is peaceful, is confident. Confidence, not East Texas like, you know, steroid confidence or Adderall, you know, whatever. I mean, like, real confidence, though, y'all, is like, it's peace. It's peace no matter what. That's the real confidence. And it's recognizable, you know, and people want it. But it's in Him, you know. Yeah. So if you're feeling that way, just like the, the Israelites had the opportunity to, maybe the reality is that, that you're surrounding something the Lord's led you into. Let Him deal with it on the inside and then deal with it on the outside. Yeah. Last thing, I will really close with this. You know, tonight starts Rosh Hashanah at sundown. It's really a Jewish holiday, but it is our heritage, you know. Um, and it's, it's the time of the Jewish New Year, right? And it's the time the Jews believe it's like this time of reflection before Yom Kippur comes here in like a week and a half or so. And um, a lot of times the Jews will use it as a time of reflective in connection to God. But they look back over the year at the things that they've gone through and the things that have been added to them. And it's something that's kind of a tradition in our house around this time of year, every year. As I encourage everyone in this spiritual walk that we're called to walk in the authority because all of creation is groaning and longing for us to, so that we can have pet bears. Yeah, uh, not really, but you know what I'm saying. So that there's a, like, so we can, so we can institute this reality and live this this climate. Um, there's something to not necessarily introspection, but looking back with a thankful heart over your previous year and writing down we always a lot of times we'll do it as assignment just like we've always done questions here it's like write down the things the lord has added to you this year that's one number two write down the things that the lord has actually removed from you this year you know or like harem you know like that you've actually offered given as an offering to the lord stuff that you addressed and removed and is no longer a part of you or maybe it's stuff that you've had to go through this year you know but when, when you look at it, even stuff that maybe was painful or stuff that makes you rejoice, with a thankful heart, it causes vision for the next year to come to you. You know, isn't that Psalm 100? Like we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There's something like, I'm having trouble getting the presence of the Lord. It's like, well, thanksgiving is, that's how we enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's like there's something about that. And it's not in a religious way. Oh, thank you for this, 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 this. You know what I'm saying? It's actually looking and, and attributing the things that he's done in your life and being thankful for them. And once you're doing that, and even the stuff that he's removed from you, the stuff that you've actually you know, gotten rid of, um, it's something you can look back at and be like, yeah, man, like you've, you've 
you've done a lot for me this year. And in that thankful heart, that's where vision comes a lot of times. And so they would, the Jews would do this and kind of be thankful and, and look through their stuff of the new year. But they would also get what we would kind of say like a download for what does this mean for us this year? What are the, you know, for them, like a New Year's resolution or New Year's goal like Americans do. You know? But for us, it's like vision because a lot of times if you can see the things the Lord's added and the Lord's taken, and even the stuff the Lord's bringing you into, when you look at it in a thankful heart, not in a fearful one, you realize like he's given us this because of this. He's setting me up for this. You know, it's, it's such a really cool thing. So I would really encourage everyone to do that in, in Rosh Hashanah and really to pray attention. Like Christianity, it shall come to pass afterwards. I will, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There's the sevenfold spirit of God. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Yeah, it's okay to actually get vision from God and write out what, what you feel like he's, he's going to do in your life this year. Let it forecast. Let it be for others as well. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Like this is Christianity that it's talking about. Never stopped. Never ever stopped. I always tell people around Rosh Hashanah, pay attention to the things that God's speaking to you in dreams. If it isn't just pizza or you watched, you know, It the Clown or something like that and had a nightmare. I'm talking about like dreams that you could feel from the Lord. You know, It the Clown got a couple of y'all smiling. I like that. (laughs) Had a couple keeps me going at night um but you know write those things down and and see where the lord's leading you i remember one year in rashaan i think it was 2006 six or seven um i i remember during this time and i was being mindful i had a dream that the lord actually came to my house i lived in raven falls north carolina but he was like in america you know he was his name was josh instead of yeshua you know what i mean but it was him and he came, and, and when he knocked on my door, or rang my doorbell, whatever, and I came to help, I, I was so happy, like, yo, come on in, dude. I was just, my heart was like, I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> you know, come in. And he's like, man, I'm hungry. I was like, yeah. And he goes into my refrigerator, he's like, do you have any pork? Do you have any sausage? I'm like, sausage, pork? Like, okay, yeah, maybe we got some hot dogs in there. You know, I don't know what we got in there, you know. But he was very specifically looking for sausage and pork. Yeah. Then he walked outside on our back deck. We had a, this, a wooden back deck, and we had a grill back there, but in the dream, there was two grills. And so he, he literally walks out on my back deck, looking for pork, looking for sausage. He walks out on my back deck, and he takes one of the grills, right, like this, grabs it, and picks it up and slings it off my deck and breaks it in the yard. And it was like... I didn't take it personal at all. He wasn't angry. It was just like, nope. Boom. And he just chucked it in my yard. And I'm just like, whoa, okay. So you don't like that. That's cool, man. You want, you know, he's looking for sausage, looking for stuff. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I woke up from it. So strange, but so vivid. And when he came to my door, I was so happy to see him. I was like, yeah. It was like, yes, you're finally here. You're here. You know what I mean? But because it was him. And he was coming into my house. And we know through the Old Testament, like, you know, they, they didn't eat no pigs now. That's not, that's not a kosher meat. And he was coming into my fridge, and the things that were, uh, air quotes, forbidden through the religious laws that are not forbidden for us, because we're not living on that side of the covenant. He was demonstrating something. I don't play by these rules. 
And the two grills outside, one of them was a kosher grill. It's kosher grill because they can't have any unclean meat on them. He didn't have nothing to do with that. He threw that thing off the deck, man. Broke it in the yard. And I remember thinking, like, that's puzzling, but cool. I'm just so glad you're here. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, well, whatever. At least I still got mine, you know. But he was demonstrating something, man. He was demonstrating something to me, like, hey, like, a lot of those rules and regulations, a lot of that religious stuff that binds you in our relationship, like, I'm going after them this year. And it was. I had a lot of a lot of religious mindsets and grids, even about the way I approached God and making sure I prayed enough every single day and make sure I read enough. And don't get me wrong, discipline is great. It's, it's incredible. But when it starts to take the place where it's rooted in some of that old covenant stuff, that it's not rooted in the grace, that we come boldly before him, that he's with us and he's in us at all times and we can relate to him that, oh, well, uh, let me read a few chapters first and then I'll feel comfortable enough to come before you and I've done enough work, so now can we talk and can I ask you about a few things? Well, let me thank you for five minutes first because we enter his next Thanksgiving. Let's make that real religious. And then, I, you know what I mean? He was just, it was just like, hey, buddy, I'm not who you thought I was and this is what I'm doing in your life this year. I'm going to let you see some things. You know, and it wasn't irreverent or anything like that. It's just like, hey, this is what's happening. But it was awesome because in the dream, I was so happy. I was so happy, and it's just like, oh, it's, it's, you know, everyone's spiritual. It's like, oh, it's going to be really hard. You know, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be good, low. You know, Lord's going to really do some surgery in the heart. You know, we're going to have a hard time. You know, I hate that stuff, dude. I'm polite about it, but man. I'll tell you a secret. I freaking hate that kind of attitude, man. But anyhow, but the reality is. It was just like, hey, and it's going to be fun. You're going to be so happy that I'm here that it's not going to be this big, painful thing. I'm going to rewire your mind. That was Rosh Hashanah, 2006, I think, five or six. Anyhow, leave you with that because it's strange. It's like God wants to talk to us. The Christian walk is progressive. The seven, the seven laps of Jericho is the sevenfold spirit of God. It's walking in the spirit. We, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh by walking in the spirit. We're free from all that stuff. It's not Galatians 5. Well, don't do this, the, the works of the flesh. Try not to do them and walk in the spirit instead. It says, no, walk in the spirit and you won't do those things. You'll be too occupied living this free life that you won't have to try not to do these other things. That's the thing. It's not about trying. It's not about working. The walls come down from him. We're just obedient and we follow through. All right, that was a long close, but let me just encourage that one more time. Write down the Lord, the things, a year review. I know it's not really the new year yet for us, but it is in the Bible. So let's play, let's do that. And like, Lord, watch the things that he's given to you. Watch the things that he's taken away. Ask him, so what does this mean? What is, what is it you're sending me into in this next year? What breakthrough do you have for my family? Um, you know what I'm saying? If I'm out of alignment in any way, would you help me to get into alignment? It's not a rebuke. It's just like, oh, if, if I am, if there's any way, lead me in the, in the eternal way, the eternal yeah. path. That, you know, yeah. the ancient way of Jeremiah 6, you know what I'm saying? The one that I was created for me before the earth was founded. Because there is one.